0: I think a strong, ferociously independent news outlet, which is something that we hammer, hammer, hammer. We are not ideological. We are not beholden to a political party. We are independent journalists.
1: Welcome to Cambridge Forums. Can local news fix the crisis in democracy? I'm Mary Stack, and today we're beginning another mini-series which will examine the pivotal role of information and facts and the function they play in a healthy democracy. There are plenty of good reasons for Americans to feel that the country is actually coming apart at the seams, not least because our disinformation industries are doing such a good job at fueling the division and the polarisation. It's a propagandist dream. I'm delighted to hand over this discussion to Charlie Sennett. He's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the Ground Truth Project, which is home to both Report for America and Report for the World. Charlie is an award-winning correspondent, a best-selling author, an editor with 30 years of experience in national and international and local journalism. And joining him are three formidable media professionals, Carol Wood, who is the Business Innovation Director for the Colorado News Collaborative, which supports 180 media organizations in Colorado. Bobby Resner, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and also the founding editor of the New Bedford Light. And Tracy Powell, who is the founder and CEO of the Pivot Fund. She's a leader in philanthropic efforts to increase racial equity and diversity in news media. So welcome, Charlie, and welcome to everybody. So welcome to Charlie.
2: Thanks everyone for joining us. Um, this is just an incredible panel. I can't wait to get the conversation rolling and also hear questions from all of you. So one of the things that's that's I think really important to get us started is I wanna try to frame the problem. I wanna say like just how, how severe is this problem? For those of you who, who don't know, It's a five alarm fire. Do you hear the alarms in the background? I don't know if you can hear the sirens, but there's fire trucks going by. That's a good, that's actually good audio because this is a five alarm fire. When you think about what's happened to local news in America, right now, 70 million Americans live in communities that could be defined as a news desert or they're right there teetering on the edge of becoming one. We know that 1,800 communities in the United States have lost their local newspaper. No one is watching the store in 1800 communities in America. The one that makes me saddest, and I think is the easiest to get your head around, is two newspapers die every week in America. This is a crisis for our democracy that I would argue has the similar and even greater depth of job loss as the collapse of coal or steel. And as important as those industries were to jobs in this country, I'd argue that the collapse of the news industry, journalism, is more important and more fateful because we can't have a democracy without that foundation of journalism, particularly local journalism, where we come together as communities around these local issues that we read about together in our local news organization, whether that's digital or print or on the radio, so, so what happens when a country has, oh, excuse me, what happens when a county or a community has a news desert? We know we know there are at least three things that happen. Voter participation plummets, polarization surges, and a really interesting one that isn't discussed enough is bond ratings drop. Banks do not want to invest in communities that have no one watching the store. I think the other thing we lose that's a little bit less tangible than those is we lose the storytelling of a community, like the role of a great newspaper is to tell the story of a community. And you suddenly don't have the stories of heroes who should be celebrated or villains who should be called to task and who need a light shown upon them. You don't have those stories of someone who won the math competition that become these yellowed clips on a refrigerator with magnets holding it up and like my family, we had, we had great achievements that sat there for years and years and years. And I'm sure many of you know this feeling about your local newspaper. Um, we, we also know that this, this impact causes us to fracture and there's no greater evidence than January 6th to know just how far pulled apart we are as a country. So I think there is a through line from the collapse of local news. To, to the violence we saw on January 6th and the attack on the institution of our country, Congress, really the attack on our, on our election system, our voting. And I think that is why we're gonna be talking about what do we need to do to fix local news so that we can heal our own country and our own democracy. We're gonna also get a little bit to the idea that this is not only a crisis in the United States, this is a truly global crisis. Local news is perishing around the world and it's causing the same problems lack of civic participation, polarization, communities that no longer are holding together. And we're seeing this in places like Brazil and India. And really interestingly, I've been in Ukraine recently where the Donbass had, all of its local news organizations in the Donbass were weakened or closed in the years that just before the 2014 uh, invasion of Crimea, which would preceded the invasion of Kyiv last year. So this is happening in places around the world, and there's a reason for all of us to care and to come together. And one of the things that really I really love about this gathering is that I I was just uh, learned from Mary that we have people on this call who are from Angola and Antarctica, from Arlington, Massachusetts, and also from ChatGPT. So I think this community right here is 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 really represents just how many people care about this problem one of the one of the first questions i want to get to is like how do we define what is local it sounds like a it's a deceptively simple question but i think if you just think about the gathering on this right here on this on this event uh, all of you coming together on zoom from so many different places i really want to challenge ourselves to think in in new ways about what it means to be local so i, I want to start with you bobby um you know your news organization the new bedford light is extraordinary i've followed it closely a little bit of truth in advertising i do have a loved one my son who has been working with you and i feel like it's um it's it's an extraordinary news organization serving its community the way you built it was really exciting please get into some of that but maybe just help us understand like how do you define what is local in new bedford massachusetts
0: Right, well, just a quick anecdote um, from my many years in uh, print media, legacy media, uh, working for a lot of different uh, corporate and uh, chain companies is that what happened um, with chain ownership, which has given way to private equity uh, ownership of news outlets is that they homogenize the content to save money, right? They're chasing clicks to serve advertisers, The content gets more and more diluted and diluted and diluted until it's it's there's nothing there. Um and that's what we see um not only in these news deserts, but in uh what what we refer to as the proliferation of ghost newspapers or or zombie newspapers, right? They maybe have one sort of perfunctory. Uh, press release type story on on their front page or the top of their website and then everything else is coming from is canned and coming from some central uh repository somewhere so um what what that whole process has has done is um neglected the fundamental fact that every community is unique it's unique in its demographics, it's unique in its size, it's unique in its its challenges, its its glories, um, its needs. And so what we did with the New Bedford Light, uh, which by the way is all, all digital, um, was really look very, very carefully at what the needs are in this particular city of 100,000 people, which is very poor very uh heavily immigrant community um and really looked at what what were the needs and what are the gaps in the local ecosystem so not only do we have a ghost paper in new bedford but you have you know you do have media outlets that, out there that cover high school sports that do a good job covering i don't know real estate uh transactions whatever we don't duplicate that We looked at where's the need, where's the gap, and how are we going to make a difference? And we came uh, down on uh, a, a very strategic content strategy of investigating issues and celebrating culture. And that's what we do, because that's how we can make a difference in New Bedford. We can make a difference with investigative reporting and explanatory reporting, but we can also tell the stories you referred to of the whole of the city, the incredibly diverse tapestry that is a city like New Bedford um, through, through arts and culture. Because arts and culture is a big, is thriving in New Bedford at the same time that it's it's a poor city and has all these incredible challenges which we investigate write about we also celebrate the local
2: culture Thanks thanks Bobby it, it is it is really one of the great things of that weekly read is to know just how much is going on in New Bedford in terms of music and art and poetry and celebrations of its own literary tradition and it's immigrant groups that come together and have really interesting um, ways of celebrating their own culture. I I love that about what you're doing. Congratulations on it. We're really proud to have the New Bedford Light as a partner with Report for America. I wanna just say briefly, um, all three of our panelists have worked with us in one way or another uh, at Ground Truth through our program, Report for America. We have about 600 reporters who we've placed in 200 newsrooms across all 50 states. So we have a unique and really privileged point of view to be able to see like just how communities are struggling, what they're looking to do. And we're trying our best to be of service to them by providing local reporters in those newsrooms. So if anyone has questions on that, we can talk about it. But I want to keep going on these amazing panelists who we have this an unbelievable opportunity to work with. Tracy, I want to say it's just been incredibly um, great to see you recently. We were recently at a conference together and to hear all of the thinking you're doing and just, just how much... Your organization is growing in leaps and bounds. Tell us more about the Pivot Fund and help us understand how do you, in your work, um, support these local news organizations and how do you define what is local?
3: Thank you so much, Charlie. Um, It was great seeing you too, and I'm happy to be here today. Um, The Pivot Fund is a, a, a philanthropic organization. I call it a venture philanthropy organization that invests in hyperlocal community news, prioritizing newsrooms led by and for communities of color. Um, these communities have long, long been um, ignored and underserved, um, harmed by traditional news media. And so we, what we saw when I got back to my home state of Georgia in 2016 was a swath of news deserts that had cropped up in the state. And I looked at Penny Abernathy's research to see that 17 counties in Georgia were considered news deserts um I you know as any good journalist and editor I went back over her research and I wanted to really understand what was happening in these communities and so we did what Bobby talked about we actually listened to community members we asked them uh, who do you trust and why where do you get your information? and how do you access it? And what do you do with it once you get it? And that led us to just by talking and listening to communities, that led us to these newsrooms, these news outlets that were on nobody else's radar that was providing critical news and information for their communities um, in different languages, different formats, a lot of them were on social media because let's face it, that's where a lot of folks are now. That's how a lot of people get their information is through their social feeds. And so they w- they pointed us to news outlets um, that were on Facebook, for example, or Instagram. There's an Instagram account with almost a million subscribers right here in Georgia and when i look at the 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 traditional newsroom newspaper um i was amazed because that newspaper has 120,000 subscribers mm-hmm. between digital and print now imagine a million on instagram 120,000 who is impacting whom and i know that disinformation flows very freely on social media, but we have to take the fight to them on the platforms where that disinformation exists. You asked the question earlier about how do we define local news? Journalists and journalism are very important. We're the only profession specifically mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. But I believe that how we define journalism matters less and less as we see the trust among the public decline and so i push back and i'll say how do our communities define local news what matters to them what's important to them how are they reimagining what what news and and information is and when we ask that That question, instead of asking each other that question, when we ask that question of our community members, it leads us to organizations like Paz LaVos in Savannah, Georgia, one of our grantees that was producing news and information on Facebook. It was born out of a need to communicate how folks need to stay safe during a hurricane. And it grew into a media outlet. They have recently reported um, about a, a, mobile home park where 500 poor Hispanic immigrants live that goes without water constantly, without clean water. Because of their months long reporting, the city of Savannah is now making sure that community receives water. That's the impact, to them that was local news, to folks around them that might have taken, that has water and maybe take it for granted that they have access to water anytime they want. May not have mattered, but to that particular community, that mobile home, two mobile home parks, it mattered. That was local news. It matters to folks in Lagrange, where BTV, April Ross, another one of the organizations we invested in, she is bringing together a mostly African American audience that she grew on 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 social media, along with a white evangelical Christian audience that was on this cable, Christian cable. Channel, she she bought she now owns that channel, and she's injecting news and bringing these two audiences together. Now journalists have been working for decades trying to bridge the divide between conservatives and liberals, and April is actually doing it. I can go on and on about some of these organizations, now, and we can talk about it more later. But I I you know one of the things that Pivot does is yes we go into the news deserts, and we have identified oases. That's what I. That's how I refer to them. Oases uh, <laughs> where folks are have built their own information infrastructure to serve the critical information needs of the people they live next door to, of the people they see every day in the grocery store, of the the, the folks who are ha- having conversations about the some of the most pressing matters happening in their lives, and then mm-hmm. they're 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 creating the information and the news that these folks deem important and serving those needs in that way. So I look forward to this, to this continued conversation and Thanks. I'm just excited that we're having it. Thanks,
2: Tracy. Just, just to extend the metaphor, I think everyone on this panel, and and really I think there's so many of us who are finding any way we can to put our our, hoe into the soils to try to turn it over and plant new seeds and make sure we're getting some green shoots in these news deserts. And there's amazing work that you've done, Tracy, Bobby, your news organization is an incredible example. Carol, you sort of are like an agribusiness of new green shoots. You're, you're like pulling together. What is it? 180 media organizations in Colorado that you're working with, um, with the Colorado news collaborative. It's a, it's an extraordinary, Effort that has great reach in a state that's really seeing this crisis in some acute ways. So, share with us like what you're doing in Colorado. Where are you seeing some stories of success? And try to get at this issue of how how do we think about how we define local news? What is local?
4: Well, thank you, Charlie, and 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 thanks to the Cambridge Forum and to my fellow panelists. It's a great discussion and, and a great topic. So, in Colorado. We do have, we have the news deserts. Uh, That's one of the things that the Colorado News Collaborative was, was, uh, saw a problem. And three years ago, just, just more than three years ago, the Colorado News Collaborative was formed. It is a consortium of 180 newsrooms in Colorado. We have print, um, print digital hybrids, uh, digital only radio and TV. And the idea behind the collaborative was to share news stories to work collaboratively on news stories to help cover these areas that our news de- that that our news deserts here in Colorado, and one of the problems we have here in this state as well is a, is a digital divide. So not everyone has access to uh, uh, to robust broadband. So print news is still very, very important in Colorado. Um, we have some great digital only organizations. We also have some, some organizations that are print only. There's a, an example I can think about on the Eastern Plains of Colorado, where there's a really wonderful print newspaper but her email list is only 40 people large. And so, you you know, you have to keep the print um, alive in in Colorado, at least, for the foreseeable future. Now, the, the infrastructure bill is going to address that over the next couple of years here in Colorado. But the other thing, well, let me answer your question about local. We, we do define local as we have micro sites here in Colorado, you know, one and two person operations that cover maybe just one topic. You know, there's there's an organization in, in Boulder, digital only organization, and, and all she does is cover city council, that one thing. So we have microsites and then we have statewide organizations like the Denver Post, you know, really the only state um, statewide print paper that's left. Um, and it is owned by a hedge fund. So to, to Bobby's point, that's something that we deal with here in Colorado as well. You know, uh, In addition to news deserts, something that we encountered here this summer was a printing press desert. We, there's very few printing presses left in the state of Colorado. We had a major press that was owned by Gannett in uh, southern Colorado, in the city of Pueblo, and it closed and gave 80 contract publishers uh, eight weeks to find a new printing press, And that was an enormous challenge. And so, as the Colorado News Collaborative, we worked with those publishers in partnership with the Colorado Press Association, which is an amazing, strong organization here in Colorado, and the Colorado Media Project, which is a funding roundtable that helps find funding to support local news organizations in Colorado. So between these three organizations, we call ourselves an ecosystem. We meet uh, representatives of those three organizations. We meet every week. I'm contracted to the Colorado News Collaborative on the business side. Um, As I explained earlier, they started as a let's collaborate on reporting. This year, It's let's also collaborate on business and you have all of these really wonderful news organizations, some of them relatively new that are run by great journalists, but they don't know how to run a business. And so both the Colorado News Collaborative and the Colorado Press Association, in partnership with Colorado Media Project, have added this year, 2023, and hopefully we can extend into the foreseeable future, collaborative business solutions for our our partners and our members. And so on the printing press, you know, we look at this collaborative solution and regional solutions. We had to go to New Mexico and Kansas and Wyoming to find some of those 80 newspapers that were left without a contract printing uh, facility to find them a printing home. And so I see the solutions that we're finding in Colorado on a, re- on, a, on a local basis, statewide basis, expanding into a regional basis. And I think as the both the news deserts and the business deserts um, expand and grow, we're gonna have to solve these things on a regional uh, basis, not just hyper-local or local or statewide, but we're gonna have to work regionally together with
2: our neighboring states. One of the questions I want to be sure we get at is kind of the question of the panel. How can local news play a role in in pulling us back together as a country? I mean, I don't think, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, not, not since at least 1968 has this country been so divided. It feels like it's at a at a boiling point that is distressing as we look forward to the next election and we think about just how divisive it could be. And we think about what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. So let's talk for a minute about sort of the the optimism here, right? All of you are involved in new entities that are doing these really tremendous efforts to save local news operations, to reimagine them, to hear communities, as you said, Tracy, so that we really know what the issues are so we can serve them better. Can local news play a role in pulling us back together and hopefully shoring up our democracy, which feels stressed and some would even say it feels like the foundation is cracked these days.
0: I don't know if we can fix it, but I think we can make a big, big difference. There are so many ways in which we uh, at the New Bedford Light have been able to engage people who were never engaged before. And, how we've been able to animate civic life in lots of different ways some of that is voting but that's not really what it's about because in our community for example the voter turnout is abysmal and it just is and it's going to take years and years and years to for people to reconnect with with civic life and i think a strong ferociously independent news outlet, which is something that we hammer, hammer, hammer. We are not ideological. We are not beholden to a political party or our donors or our board members or our funders or, you know, people who want want us to publish their press releases, whatever it is. We are independent journalists. And, you know, that's like so fundamental to us here on this panel, but people don't even believe it. They don't even believe that we're nonpartisan at first, but I think they're starting to see it now because we're equal opportunity skeptics. You know, we've made, um, I, I wouldn't say enemies, but you know, we've made a lot of friends, but we've also got politicians running scared and because they know we're watching. And when people see that, they appreciate it. And that to me is the most heartening aspect of this whole endeavor in, in New Bedford is all the people who've gotten involved. So we're very local, we're very community based. But you know, we've been able to inject facts and research into roiling debates that tend to be very emotional and very fractured and very polarizing on say rent control. And, you know, we don't endorse candidates, but we come into a debate like that by looking at what have been the effects of rent control around the country and other, in other communities like ours to see what, what we can do here. Well, that takes time. It takes effort. It takes really deep reporting, really broad reporting. And when I see people go to a council meeting, uh, circulating a petition for something or other that references our work, <laughs> that just thrills me. That just thrills me. And we recently did a, a reader a community survey about you know how the community uh, feels about us and the work we're doing and getting their suggestions and stuff. But this is, this is the most heartening thing I've seen in a very long time. Half the respondents said, that they had taken some kind of action, thanks to the new Bedford Light. They voted, they wrote a letter, they made a phone call, they went to a meeting, Mm. whatever it was, maybe they went to a cultural event, but half of them said they had taken action. That is democracy.
1: Thank you for the insight, excellent. I'm sure uh, you fired up some of the audience too, hopefully. Cambridge Forum is made possible through the generosity of Herbert and Dorothy Vetter, the Lowell Institute, Mass Cultural Council, Cambridge Community Foundation, and of course, all of you. So if you want to donate or sign up to our list, please visit the website, cambridgeforum.org. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope to see you all soon.